0: Hello friends and welcome to another episode of It's Not All Rainbows. I'm your host Lindsay Goodman. I'm a certified trauma recovery coach and I'm also a survivor of abuse in a queer relationship. I'm here to help validate and support those who are or have been in my shoes and to help spread awareness of what these kinds of relationships can look like. Today I have a special guest with me. Um, I have Andrew Campbell with me who I found on Twitter. I'm fairly new on Twitter and i um, really happy that I'm over there because I've found some really amazing folks over there who are talking about really important things. And Andrew really caught my eye because he does a lot of talking about abuse um, and how animals and children are affected and used as pawns and all of those things. So Andrew is here today. Um, Do you want to go ahead and give us a little background about who you are and what you do?
1: Absolutely, and thank you again for all that you do in this field in this area. Very important work and, and thank you for the opportunity to join you today. Um, an honor and a privilege I've been looking forward to. So um, so yeah, my name is Andrew Campbell, and I'm the CEO and founder of Campbell Research and Consulting. Um, based in Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, I would say my work focuses primarily on uh, prevention, um, but then also detection and intervention regarding family violence. Um, And so when I say family violence, I'm talking um, abuse and harm that occurs in the home. Uh, It can be physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. Um, Usually we're kind of thinking partner abuse, child abuse, pet abuse, elder abuse. Again, abuse harm that occurs um, in the home and affects the family unit. Uh, One of the reasons I talk about family violence and and use that kind of terminology um, is because, you know, my belief is if you abuse one in the home, you harm all in the home. So, you know, even if a a child obviously in the house is not the direct target of the partner abuse, if they're living in that environment, they're still harmed by it. Um, And so I think it it helps when we think about these issues in that manner. Um, You know, perps can't pick and choose who's hurt and harmed by their acts. Um, Unfortunately, the reality is, is everyone in the home is impacted and affected. Um, I focus often, as you said, on on the pet piece, because it was my dog who saved my life. Um, I'm a uh, published researcher, author, and educator in this field. Um, I present often I speak um, on average about 40, 40 times a year at professional conferences. Um, I I publish often I write, uh, like I said, academic articles, wrote the book um, that that we're talking about a little bit today. I've also written for USA Today and other other types of media. Um, But again, uh, you know, the the drive and the passion for for why I do what I do is personal experience. Um, So, um, you know, I can remember waking up around 14 or 15 to uh, one morning in particular to my mom screaming, crying out in my room. Um, it certainly wasn't the first event, but it was kind of a culmination for me, um, for a long time I had been aware being able to hear, uh, through my parents, uh, wall. there, um, you know what, it's hard because when you're 12, 13, 14, you're not really sure to call it partner abuse. You're not really sure, you know, the, the terminology there. And I, I kind of think I thought of it as, as being more like my dad was bullying my mom. My dad was being mean to my mom. Um, you know, at a certain point though, it switched over from me feeling sorry for her to me feeling scared for her. Um, And so when this morning that I'm describing in particular happened, um, you know, that kind of explains what I did next. So um, I remember my my dad left that day. I helped my mom up and I said, hey, if you will not let him back in this house, um, we'll figure it out. Um, I had a younger sister. um, But again, even at that age, 14, 15, I could see um, what emotional abuse does. Um, And again, in my house, it wasn't physical or sexual abuse that I was aware of. It was the emotional abuse that I was witnessing, hearing and then seeing, obviously, um, um, come into play. Um, but again, even at that age before all this research I've done, I could see how harmful and 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 hurtful and and just see a terrible effect um, that it has on people. Um, and so um, you know, my mom and sister and I um did our best, you know, from that day forward. My dad did come back for a brief period a couple years later. That did not last long. um but again, i I, I, I say that because that's where my passion comes from. um throughout all of that, i I I mean, Again, just speaking quite transparently, as a kid in that position, you know, uh, it's awful. It's hard. Um, Just because my dad left the home that day doesn't mean, and I say this often, just because the abuser leaves the house doesn't mean the risk of harm is over. You know, it often just changes. Um, So things didn't necessarily get, you know, easy from that point on. Um, And and again, I I contemplated suicide many times, um, but it was always my dog um, who saved me. Um, I would sit out there with Shelby, who was a mixed uh, breed terrier, um, late at night, um, all times of day. um, And he just provided, you know, comfort that I can't even put into words. You know, some nights he would lick the tears from my eyes as I cried. Other nights he would stand watch at the edge of the yard. Um, like I said, I I was very close to killing myself at one point. Thought I was killing myself, um, and it was it was that dog. That's who I credit um, for for the reason I'm still here today. Um, so again, I, I look at at each day differently now, and I'm thankful for each opportunity to talk about these things. Again, always remembering Shelby. Um, you know the reason why I'm still here today to to be able to talk about it. Oh.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I know, I mean, this is what you do. This is what you talk about. It's still, it's, it's like a really vulnerable thing to, I mean, I'm thinking about like my own child and growing up and there's this stigma about like coming from an abusive household and having an abusive parent and it sticks with you. Or, you know, when we have abusive partners, it's like, this was, you know, it's just, it's yucky. And society looks at it like, whoa, well, wow, well, why did that happen? And how did that happen? Like, instead of looking at the abuser the perpetrator, like it's really unfortunate that that perpetrator targeted you or that you were an innocent child involved in it and stuff like that. So to be able to be here and knowing that, you know, our stories are important and even if one person is helped and one person realizes that this is happening to them is an incredible things. So thank you again for sharing that.
1: No, absolutely. Like I said, I appreciate the opportunity to, you know, to discuss these things, not fun to talk about, but important to talk about.
0: Absolutely. Um, so what are some ways that um you, you talked about your pet helping you and supporting you through that time. Um I experienced a lot of you know, both my child and my dog being used against me to control me, to keep me around, you know, to mess with my feelings and all of that stuff. What are some ways that we see perpetrators using animals um to harm? Their victim, yeah.
1: So absolutely. Um, unfortunately, something I think we're seeing more and more frequently. Um, when you look in the literature, um, you know, in academic literature, it's unfortunately common. Um, we see, you know, particularly among women, uh, many of them when they when they do enter a DV shelter, domestic violence shelter, describing um, that that you know threats or actual perpetrated harm to their pets was something that perpetrators definitely um, um, used. Um, unfortunately, perpetrators don't play by the rules. Um, you know, they, they often go after those who are most vulnerable. Um, and in many cases, children and, and pets are among the most vulnerable in the home, obviously. Um, again, it's one of the main reasons why I, I describe these issues and, and I focus on the idea of family violence. Um, because just because it's it's what we would call partner abuse today doesn't mean it won't be a child or pet targeted tomorrow. Again, I, I think it's so important to view these family units as as all sharing risk in, in these types of situations. Uh, one of the things I've noted in my own research, I've published um, um, a study in particular in the Journal of Interpersonal Violence, um, where I explored, um, I utilized uh, police data, police reports from the scene of intimate partner violence incidents. Um, it was something like I think it was over 9,000 reports that I looked at. And one of the things that quickly jumped out to me um, is when, um, and officers did ask every time they responded to, to the partner abuse or domestic violence incident, um, you know, was pet abuse a part of it? Um, was, was, was pet abuse something that also occurred in the home? Um, that when uh, victims described, yes, that that was a part of it, you know, risk across the board seemed to just skyrocket. Um, We saw rates of strangulation, um, the idea of of living with daily fear, you will be killed, um, other types of emotional abusive types of things. Um, Again, the physical risk to um, strangulation and then also um, uh, reported um rates of of rape or sexual assault, things like that. Essentially everything across the board um, seemed to go up um, when we talked about pet abuse being a part of it. Um, so that's why I often describe when I'm working with police officers, other professionals in the field, you know, if you're working with a family who is dealing with partner abuse, domestic violence, um, you know, understanding if, if pet abuse is a is a piece of it is important to know. Um, we're concerned about everyone who's dealing with these issues, but if you know that that Pet abuse is a piece. Um, you know, again, risk just goes through the roof, um, unfortunately. And again, I, I don't think it's just the adult and pet who, who have that risk. Obviously, children are always stuck in the middle. Um, it's why I say, you know, if a child lives in a home where partner abuse is occurring, 100 um, percent of them are emotionally harmed by it. There, there's no way in my estimation that a child can live in that type of environment and not feel it, um, not be hurt and harmed by it.
0: Yeah, exactly. That is, that's one of the things that I struggle with so much is that, you know, when I was in that situation, I was thinking that I was able to protect him. And I'm sure your mom did too. Like, oh, the kids don't see it. They don't understand it. Um, I'm keeping them sheltered from it. But as you said, like when a parent is, you know, they're emotionally unavailable, they're walking on eggshells, they're in this constant state of fog, um, possibly things are being said or done in front of the child. Um, even if like, you know, mine was really little. So it's like, well, you know, again, at the time I didn't really understand what was going on, but being able to, um, I think I only really understood this when I started to see people talking about this. You, um, Dr. Emma Katz, um, there are a couple other people on Twitter who are talking specifically about children and how they're affected. And it's it's very hard to, to accept that and, you know, to struggle with the guilt that comes with that. But as you've said, this is, um, you know, this is the perpetrator and the perpetrator is doing these things. And, you know, obviously it's very important to, to be here talking about these things. And like you mentioned, training first responders to be able to understand that when they come into a home, they can't just walk in and be like, there's no marks on this person. Look at the children look at their behavior. A lot of times the children are, my child did become fearful of my abuser. And that is when I left. Once I realized that this, this little kiddo was scared, I left. Um, You know, and a lot of times, like for me with the dogs, it was like the dogs would hide when they were around. So really having people understand that and other family members, other people, because as a society, we just don't understand what this looks like.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I I sometimes and, and often actually say, you know, kids speak in the language they know how to speak. And often before they can describe abuse or know to call it abuse, you know, they speak out behaviorally. So they'll act out. They'll show you through their actions. Um, sometimes some of the things they're experiencing, like I said, even myself as a, as a teen, not really even knowing for sure what to call it. Right. And and I think that makes sense. Like when you're a kid, um, especially younger children, you're trying to process it. You don't it's it's something that you shouldn't be trying to process. And that makes it so difficult to figure out. Right. Because especially when it's between two trusted adults who or two adults, you should be able to trust. Um it just adds an extra layer. Um, you know, um, and and again, I, I want to share, you know, the, the story is is not one of 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 saying, you know, when you grow up in these environments that, you know, well, you know, it it I mean, I don't know. I want to share it. I want to share it honestly. And and it will be work. But it's not hopeless. And so when you grow up and you see these types of things, um, it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, um, um, learn that that's not safe, that that's not healthy and desire and want something else and go on and, and find something else. Um, it, it certainly makes it a lot harder. Um, and again, it speaks to the importance of, of these conversations and of trainings, like you said, um, you know, I, I've, I've heard. Um, agencies, not as often now, but early on when I was doing these trainings, I can remember a, tuple t- a couple times where um, a responder made a comment about a child being too young to be impacted, too young to be affected. Um, we know, you know, I, I give presentations um, on, on the topic of pregnant partner violence. The reality is even before birth, the developing fetus is is harmed and, and hurt when their mother um, experiences, um, you know, abuse. And we call it the parental pathway of stress and, and harm there. Um, so, again, no child is too young to be impacted or affected. Um, and so again, catching that as early as possible and, and helping them to understand this is not normal. It may look like normal because it's what you're living every day, um, you know, but we want a better normal for you. So eventually they have to kind of unlearn normal. And replace it with a healthier, safer normal. Again, not impossible, but you know, it, it 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 is a lot of work. But but with the proper you know intervention and resources, um, we certainly see many kids coming from these environments and going on and not being abusive, um, not entering into abusive relationships, and going on to do you know just great things out there.
0: Yeah. Uh, what are some of the resources that you would? recommend for people who like myself um i feel like with the awareness that i have i've been able to do so much to help my son um he was very little but like you said even fetuses are affected by this um what are some of your favorite resources your go-to resources that you're sharing with people when you're traveling when you're you know giving these presentations that moms or parents who are being abused can go to so that they don't feel so alone um, or so helpless because it's a very helpless feeling to be like, how could this happen to my child? And, you know, how did I let this happen and all of that stuff? So resources for mom to help with her own guilt or parents help with their own guilt and resources to help with the kids.
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I would start by saying, obviously um, all fault and blame lies on the abuser. Um, Unfortunately, we hear that often the idea that a victim is somehow blamed because a child was, exposed, you know, I mean, but the the purpose of one who is who is engage in you know engaging in the abusive acts all blame and, and fault lies on them um i think parents end up in a very difficult space often right of of trying to figure out what how do i best protect my children uh trying to understand how is it really affecting them things like as like that but again you know i i, I lay full blame um, you know on, on the abuser, obviously in these types of situations they're the one who are creating these conditions that, that obviously are often extremely difficult to navigate. Um, in terms of resources um, on my website Campbell research and Consulting.com, um, I share, all of my academic studies I I make available there for free. So um, I wrote a book chapter on um, child emotional abuse. I've written multiple studies looking at how children are impacted by domestic violence. All those are available for free. Um, And the nice thing about those is is they're well-supported in the literature. So there's hundreds of sources within each of those papers um, of additional sources on the the same uh, type of information that obviously I tracked down when I was writing those papers. Um, Through that website, you can also find my contact and, and reach out by email. Um, You know, if you have specific questions or concerns that maybe I can can, um, you know, better help connect to certain resources. Um, I I speak all over the US and and virtually um, in I think uh, seven countries or so, so far. Um, And so again, looking at where you are can also help determine, you know, maybe some of the, the most appropriate resources there in your area um but you know in, anything again that that can help with with that understanding that you know obviously it, it's it's not your fault it's the perpetrator's fault um but again it's it's the situation we're in and so how do we move forward in a way that that's healthiest for the child and 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 understanding the way that the child has likely been affected obviously is a good starting point when we think about how to again look at reversing some of those processes that that may have begun
0: absolutely thank you um Yeah. man, I, it's such a, it's such a yucky thing to be talking about. And yet, like I said, it's, it's given me so much hope as someone who has, you know, chosen to speak out about what I experienced and, and, and realizing like how important this is and how misunderstood it is. And so, yes, it's definitely given me hope to see, to see people talking about this. Um, and to feel less alone, which is why I asked you to come on here. Because again, it's it's seeing the, the pet and the child aspect, which is so not talked about. It's like you said, it's mainly, um, and again, you know, I'm a queer person. And so I have three things that society tends to just kind of like overlook because it's so much of it as a man abusing a woman, when in reality, there's so much going on out there that, like you said, people think is completely normal. Um, so what are some of the things that this is just like my interest, you do trainings with like first responders, Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you are teaching them? Because one of the things that I feel the most passionate about is, you know, if first responders just knew and understood this, how many lives could be saved. So that's something I'm very curious about.
1: I I continue to obviously to to push the pet piece. I I mean obviously I, one of the things I tell them is that abuse like this can happen in any relationship. Um, you know, in it, it, any type of um, um, uh, in terms of sex of perp, sex of a victim, in terms of same sex relationships, these things occur in any relationship. Um, they can. Um, any type of home, any le- income levels. Um, again, we see them happening everywhere, all over the place. And so, again, the idea that that these things can't happen anywhere. Um, when I'm looking at specific things, I really am locked in on the pet piece as being a pretty important indicator. Um, again, I, I when I'm working with first responders, I'm usually saying uh, you should know about pets and and if it's a if it's a part of the abuse. Um, and I usually tell them to ask it among their first five questions, just knowing that risk esca- escalates so much. Um, not just for the family unit, but for the responder as well. Um, and again, one of my papers that, that explored that noted that um, even first responders seem to share an increased risk when responding to domestic violence, um, when pet abuse was an aspect um, of the um, uh, violence or abuse in the home. Um, Purps we're, were more likely to abuse a substance, uh, to have mental illness, um, to have access to a weapon, um, and to have used a weapon against their partner if pet abuse was a piece. Um, we know that uh, 20% of all domestic violence homicide victims are not the intimate partner, but a first responder, a bystander, a family member. So again, knowing that they already share a lot of, of risk there um, when they're responding, it's one of the riskiest um, calls an officer can get um, is responding to partner abuse. And so again, knowing the pet piece elevates risk for them um, I, has been something I've I found success and in, in helping them to see that and understand that again, you want to ask about the pet piece, not just Um, Well, I mean, obviously we're concerned about the family, but not just that I mean, I mean you want to go home to your family too and understanding that your risk is probably elevated if that's a piece and component. Um, You know there's just something about that that pet piece I I know when I when I hear from, or what I've what I've understood from Perps is, is sometimes not always but sometimes they move to targeting pets and children when they feel like they're losing grip, um, when they're losing control, you know and again. It's not real control, perps call it control, but obviously um, when I, I think of uh, perpetration of abuse, it's not an act of control as I see it, it's an act of weakness, it's revealing weakness, it's not showing power, it's not showing control. But they have it you know, twisted, they think of it as control power, um, and, and when they feel they're losing that grip, um, you know, we, we hear that often, that they, that's when they start targeting children and pets. So even knowing that that piece is occurring can potentially indicate that the abuse may be further along. And we know abuse only increases in severity and frequency. So even looking at it from those angles, I think has been helpful in helping officers understand. Again, we're still worried if, if, if pet abuse isn't a part of it, but if knowing that piece is there, um, you know, our, risk, our concern should be extremely high for everyone in that home and family unit.
0: I definitely noticed that it got, like you said, the shift of the power target as I was realizing what was going on became more um, targeted towards the kid and the animal, Um, not necessarily physically, but like you said, you know, all abuse is abuse and all of it is horrendous and should not be happening at all. Um, And, you know, as someone who is in it and, you know, it's very confusing while you're in it seeing it done to innocent, like we think, oh, I'm not innocent because I'm in the relationship too. And, you know, they've convinced me that you're toxic and all that stuff. But then you're looking at these innocent little beings and you're like, wait a minute, this makes no sense. Um, and like you said, it, it, it's always going to escalate versus deescalate. Um, what do you recommend for police officers if they come into a home, um, where the abuser is there and the abuser is calm and something that I'm thinking about is the Gabby Petito case um and you know we don't have to get like really into that but when they show up and the victim is distraught and the abuser is calm and level-headed and dealing with them do you train them on kind of what that looks like and how to spot that this is actually being twisted for them
1: so interestingly, uh, one of my interestingly that that you bring that up, one of my um, studies. I think I was in, or it was an academic. It was published in a peer-reviewed journal. I think it was just an academic paper, but I I looked at the the same data I described earlier, um, but um it was described or it was titled "Behind the Mask," and I looked at at how uh, police officers described um, offenders on scene. And interestingly, though, the purpose that I would indicate as being highest risk, and again, I, I suppose I hate to say highest risk because any incident can turn fatal with the next occurrence. And we also know that, um, you know, emotional abuse, though, so, um, you know, sometimes um, we see people on Incorrectly discounting it, um, you know, I, I, I think if if emotional abuse isn't abuse, then the brain isn't part of the body, um, because it so directly and clearly impacts um, the brain, which is fairly, fairly important. Um, but anyway, you know, one of the things that I noted is among highest risk for at least physical injury and harm. Um, Highest risk perps was that they were actually statistically statistically significantly more likely to appear calm, apologetic, and crying on scene than those that seem to present less risk. Um, so it's something that I, I've worked hard to, to talk about: is that don't trust um, what you're seeing in front of you. Uh, many of these perpetrators, particularly when we think about emotional abuse, um, they're pretty good at flipping the switch. Um, they'll be one thing in their community and something altogether different in their home. Um, we can think of many accounts and, and stories um, of that and, and and we know that to be true. Um, and so again, something I certainly lock in on and say, yeah, you might have someone crying in front of you. They might be saying they're sorry, uh, but don't trust that. Um, again, I, I trust what what the case is showing you, what the information is. Um, also understanding that if the perp is, is there on scene, that victim is probably gonna be very cons- like, I mean, they may immediately start backtracking. I mean, they're taking a great risk by, by um, you know, describing what's occurring in the home, especially in the presence of the perpetrator. You know, I think the same with children. Unfortunately, I, I've, I've heard of still several states in the US um, in terms of child services um, where, where they will ask children if they're being abused in front of the potential perpetrator. Again, it just makes no sense to, to in my mind to do that because you've just dramatically increased risk. Um, if the child defies all odds and still trusts you and, and says that in front of them, um, you know, again, if if you if you don't take appropriate action to protect them, if you send them home with that individual or leave the house and it's all and all individuals are still there, um, you know, risk is only, I mean, dramatically escalated. Um, so, again, it's certainly something that I, I talk often about in my trainings, this idea of don't necessarily trust the emotional outpouring you're seeing. Um, recognize that that, you know, it, it it you know, many of these perps are, are pretty good play actors and, and can turn that on with a switch. And as soon as you leave, it, it may be something altogether different.
0: Absolutely. Um, that's so important. Um, what about, and now I, now I kind of, am thinking about Gabby. Um, what about the fact that they sort of saw her as the aggressor because he had some marks on his body? Um, and you know, I mean, I don't know everything about that case and, and and I am using a very specific example because a lot of us know about that, but when, for example, you have someone who has been we now know, abused in multiple ways, surely. And they have they have laid their hand on this person for whatever reason. And now they are being seen as the primary aggressor. What do you tell them in that case? Maybe, maybe the person who's being abused, you know, threw something and that person says, oh, well, they threw this at me. And now the police are like, well, you know, they're the aggressor. What do you tell them about that? And, and how do they like you said, to tell them, you know, to not trust what you're seeing, but how do they separate this and not fall for this thing that society is just like in love with is that abuse is mutual and that they're both toxic and, you know, well, she lashed out and did this thing. So, you know, this person did that. How do you get past that?
1: Unfortunately, it's not an easy answer um, at all. Obviously, you know all of these um, situations are different. Um, unfortunately, um, I think again at the the core root of it is is abusive acts, which in any case, you know, abuse in any form and and in any manner is is obviously wrong and it's it's harmful. Um, again, I think it, it speaks to earlier detection and improving those types of things. Um, you know, I, I know there I do hear that, and and I and I hear agencies describe it where you know um, an individual uh, an individual maybe acts in a retaliatory Manner, but but still commits an act like that, and certainly, I when we're thinking about it from a law enforcement uh, perspective, a legal perspective, in terms of how those agencies work, it's very difficult and confusing for them to try to sort that out. How do you just des- how do you decide, especially when you're standing there in the situation trying to figure out who started this what? And and again, I, I think sometimes we do see the the mutual ideas as being um, a way to kind of. I mean, I was saying that wash your hands of the matter, but just to kind of tie it up nicely and say, well, it's mutual both, you know. Um, but again, I don't think that's that's the right response either. Um, uh, like I said, I, I wish I had an easy answer. Those situations are, are very difficult and each one has to be looked at differently um, to fully understand why the acts occurred. Um, was the 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 retaliatory act or, or you know something like, like what you described, was it in defense, like to protect oneself? Because again, you know you might throw something at someone or, or take an act because they're coming at you. And then you feel in that moment that that's the best way to protect yourself. Um, understanding those types of things. Another key report source that we don't see speak up often that I think could be very helpful in those types of situations um, our neighbors. Um, neighbors only report about eight percent of domestic violence, only 12 percent of child abuse. Um, I think many times neighbors do have information. Um, I can think of one case in particular that uh, falls right in line with what you're describing. Um, my understanding of the case, um, at least in, in this particular instance, was um, that a, um, a, uh, the, it was a, a, The perpetration, um, in this particular case, it was a a female who was the victim, the male perpetrator. Um, The female was actually taken out on a stretcher. um, Significant injury. Um, A neighbor apparently had seen through a window, the male push her down the stairs, it looked like, um, late at night. Um, The next day, it's actually, when the female was discharged from, from the hospital, she was actually the one getting arrested, um, which seemed a little confusing. Um, the neighbor followed up and found out that the, the male then, before, he, before she could claim domestic violence, that he said, you know, showed marks on his arms and, and, and said that he had hurt her. Um, I think when the case was all sorted out, my, my understanding was maybe it was better understood that maybe those marks came from her trying to grab a hold of him so as not to fall down the stairs. So you, sometimes I think neighbors can have key information, especially when we think of a more urban setting. They're in close proximity. Um, they they often, I think, don't feel comfortable sharing. Um, and maybe some of that is, is concern for risk to their own family, right? Many times these perps are are scary. And, 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 and especially when they're acting in, in such violent manners, um, the last thing you want is that perp to then turn on you and your family. Um, so understanding uh, maybe some of the reasons why neighbors don't don't talk about these things could be helpful and including them in, in investigations. Um, I'll, I'll add that while they don't typically report child abuse or partner abuse, they do report animal cruelty. So um, while only 8% of domestic violence reports come from a neighbor, 12% of child abuse, uh, 89% of animal cruelty reports come from a neighbor. Um, so neighbors will talk about pets. So again, it's a, it's another key aspect. I always come back to that pet piece because I do think it's important. Um, for whatever reason, maybe it's because pets are outside more, there's better opportunity to detect, but neighbors will talk about pets. So I often work with animal control and say, hey, if you've got a neighbor reporting abuse of an animal, go ahead and ask them about adults and children in that home too. Because again, it might be our best and only chance to get some pretty important information from neighbors who might help us with timelines and things like that. when We're trying to figure out those situations.
0: Wow. You are saying a lot of things that I just had not thought about um a lot of the things that you have in your in your studies and research and things like that that i just again i never thought about it and i never realized um were so you, the the statistics that you're sharing um are they're just mind boggling and so important and so i'm so thankful um that you're doing this work and sharing it um do you have any advice or you know what would you say to neighbors or or people who might witness things who might be scared to come forward um, something that might you know because their fear is absolutely valid and um but but we are also noticing there I noticed that there are a lot of people who maybe they're not necessarily in fear for their own safety but they still will choose to stay neutral or stay out of it what are some things that they could could consider when it comes to to sharing or not sharing
1: I think the, the idea of making them feel safe, again, that, that responsibility lies on on the agencies that make up our communities that deal with these types of things. Um, you know, with, uh, neighbors or anyone in the community needs to be able to trust responding agencies. They need to to feel that, you know, if if, if they make an anonymous report, that it truly will be kept anonymous, that there won't be some easy way. Um, again, I think one of the tricks w- when we're talking about a neighbor is you're so close. You're right there. You're often right next to the person. And so then, again, this idea that they won't know um, you know, um, I, I think is, is, a, is a major issue. Um, but in, in terms of weighing that risk, again, understanding that these things only get worse. Um, you know, the, the abuse and, and violence, particularly as it's perpetrated in the home and, and the, in these types of cases, doesn't just go away. You know, sometimes I, I hear um, the idea that, um, you know, I, I speak often, again, about family violence in all different types of, of areas and, 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 and different Types of presentations. And, and one of the ones I give talks about how family violence um, always increases after a natural disaster. Um, I also speak often about how um, it's increased um, during and, um, you know, it's at the early stages and still ongoing during the pandemic. Um, and sometimes we hear individuals say, well, you know, they kind of blame the event on and for the for the uh family violence and say, well, once things um settle back down after the natural disaster, the abuse will stop. You know, once we get out of the pandemic and the things return to normal, abuse will stop. Nothing in the literature to support that, it just goes away. Um actually and when we look at natural disasters, abuse always seems to increase and that increase stays um, for years and often becomes the new normal. Um, so again, uh, it's only gonna get worse. So if you're seeing something and thinking, well, I don't need to say anything, I'm sure they'll work it out. Not usually, um, work it out usually means that that someone gets significantly or, or even further harmed. And again, if you're talking about a child um, in the home, um, you know, any exposure to abuse is too much. Um, one of my other studies noted that on average, if law enforcement gets a call reporting domestic violence um, and uh, before the COVID, before the pandemic, it was estimated that only one in four victims um, of like physical or sexual partner abuse ever call law enforcement. But among those who do, um, on average, there have already been ten incidents in the home before they make that call. So again, if you're seeing something happen. Um, it's probably not the only time it's happened. It's probably happened a whole lot of times. And again, if you're thinking of children in that home, it, you know, each, each occurrence, each incident is, is not only risk to them, but harm to them. So even thinking of it from that perspective, obviously, we want to protect adults. Um, but but again, if you're worried about others in the home, children and pets certainly share that risk. Um, and, and, and by turning a blind eye um, again I uh, you're you're leaving something to chance that is is very scary um, because there's no guarantee that they'll still be breathing um, or, or or okay on um, whatever that looks like tomorrow.
0: Absolutely and it's it's one of those things that you know it sounds so harsh and we see um, you know I'm on like all the social media and we see people making videos joking about, killing their partner and a lot of people you know they'll say oh it's just a joke it's just a joke but we're out here saying no absolutely like we know that the odds of being murdered are what is it like 800% more if you if they have put their hands on your neck one time I don't know if that's the exact statistic on it maybe you know but it's not it is people are like why are you out here saying that so harshly like what you just said is like they might not be breathing tomorrow because it is the reality it's and, and, and like you said the same with pets and and children it is the reality when we' we're, we're seeing these things when we're witnessing it it's definitely not the first time I mean it could be but the odds are that it's not the first time um Another thing that I noticed that uh, that I think that in general society does not understand is exactly what abuse is and it isn't just, you know, we think um, just based on what we see, like on TV, that it's you're in the hospital, you you're in the hospital, or you're covered in like goodbye, Earl, by the chicks. Where oh, she has a black eye, she has to cover it up, and and that's just what we think of. Or of course, we think of of rape, and it's like society says these are the two things that we'll start paying attention to. But everything else that people are talking about, emotional abuse, financial abuse, now we have digital abuse. You know, that's sort of really looked at as tolerable, like maybe not ideal, but like a lot of people are toxic these days or, Oh, my parents, they would call each to names. They would do this and they would do that. But we all need to really take it upon ourselves to research and understand, you know, we don't have to write papers and we don't have to, um, make content and we don't have to do anything, but to know and understand what abuse is and what it looks like is just so important. And if we, as a society could understand and and agree, accept that these things are abuse um, versus kicking back. I do see a lot of kickback, you know, of people saying, well, that's not abuse, or I've seen worse and things like that. Um, I think that that would, would be just a basic start for all of us.
1: Absolutely, I agree. Like you said, I mean, obviously, uh, certainly not discounting, I, I mean, abuse in any form is is awful, intolerable, wrong abuse in any amount. And there's no excuse for abuse. I mean, all those things I, I believe to be true. I do think, again, emotional abuse is discredited often, but um, it shouldn't be, um, you know, and again, I say it carefully because I, I'm not saying this is always the case, but, um, and, you know, many, many times while, while a fracture will heal and a bruise will fade, you know, it's the emotional abuse that lingers. Um, and, and and every act of physical abuse and sexual abuse also, in my opinion, includes emotional abuse. I don't know how it could not. Um, and then we also see uh, emotional abuse occurring on its own. It's all and it's often that 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 emotional psychological harm that lingers. Um, it, it'll linger for a lifetime for many people, and sometimes longer as we think about it being passed on to other generations. Um, so certainly, well past time that it's taken more seriously um, and better understood um, that that it is abuse and and that the people who experience it um you know it's 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 not Again, it's it's not weakness being victimized by it. It's weakness to perpetrate it. Um, and and as I said, you know, the, there's there's no excuse for it. Even being a victim yourself doesn't excuse um, those acts. Again, when we think about some of those things, it might help us in terms of working with the perpetrator to better understand how to address the issues. Um, but it's certainly there, there's nothing that excuses it. Um, and it, again, it's it's impact and its effects are, are long term. Um, if I can add a, another piece about the pets and kind of more of a positive angle when we talk about the pet piece, um, you know, I see pets being so it's a critical critical component in, in the healing process from emotional abuse. I talked about shelby and how he saved my life you know the reality is for so many humans you know if you're abused by humans you're going to struggle to trust other humans um, many times a non-human animal or you know and and we think of it as pets but it's not always what we traditionally call a pet um, i think in more rural environments i've heard of i can remember one child saying they couldn't wait to get off the school bus and run to the cow on their farm and, and tell the cow everything that they experienced um, i think of other animals that we don't traditionally think of as pets filling that role. Um, you know, it's a support role. It's, it's, uh, you know, in, in children in particular where partner abuse occurs, it's probably unlikely they're going to form a strong, you know, secure attachment to an abuser. And the reality is, is, is the the victimized parent may have had so much taken from them, they just have little to give. Um, and so I think we're seeing more and more of this idea of of um, pet attachment where children strongly attached to animals in the home. Again, when that relationship is healthy, Um, It can be life-saving for children, for animals too. Um, Unfortunately, something we have to be careful about is that children don't Um, replicate the acts of abuse they see in the house toward that animal. Obviously, we know that takes things a very different direction. But as long as that relationship is safe, healthy, and protected, again, we can see pets providing life-saving support. Um, Now, it's not a permanent fix. Obviously, pets aren't going to live forever. um, But it can certainly help children get through very difficult times, and it's certainly something we have to understand. You know, if we're working with these family units, we have to view pets as part of the family and understand they are probably, in many cases, the most important Important part of of the family to some of these victims of abuse, um, particularly when they're their you know sole source of emotional support, consistency, and love, and and things that are so critical to our emotional health and well being.
0: Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm I'm an adult, but I'm very thankful for my dog who was with me. You know, during half of the abusive relationship. Um, and I'm lucky that I have her, and I'm lucky that she's here, and she's just such a solid part of the family. So I I definitely feel you know, her love and, um, support really. Um, and so very, very, very important aspect of all of this. Like you said, there's the, the scary part of it that we need to be aware of that these things can happen. And then this silver lining that can be there in terms of healing is that these can animals of any form can be an incredible healing, um, resource for us. Um, on that note, um, I feel pretty good about this conversation. We've talked about a lot of really important, also really yucky things. Um, and I really appreciate you coming on here and just for everything that you do. Um, I'm very honored to have had you and and happy to be following you and supporting your mission. Um, before we go, is there anything, you know, any last things that you want to share?
1: Not really. I mean, again, I, I just appreciate the time and and the opportunity. Um, as like I said, I speak often on these issues, but uh, you know, each one, um, you know, I, I I think it's important. Um, I I'm, I obviously, like I said, I, I research and, and I've done a lot of other things um, in this area, but but it's it's been part of healing for me, too, to be able to talk about these things um, and in and, and a way to kind of, um, you know, look back and, and think about some not fun times in my life and, and how now, you know, the opportunity to try to use those um, to help others is, is certainly something that, in a weird way, I'm thankful for. Not thankful for the harm, but but thankful for the opportunity to try to help others. Um, and and so, again, I, I, I echo what you said in terms of, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful for the work that you're doing as well. It's, it's important, very important. And, and again, I thank you for the opportunity, um, you know, to, again, maybe someday if, if, if abuse will ever go away, then we can have conversations that are just about fun things. But um, for as long as it's here, um, there's things to talk about in this area. And again, like I said, um, I, I will say on that line too, something that, that sounds crazy, but it's true. I mean, if abuse is preventable, you know, then ending it is possible. Um, and so I think it, it, when we think of it from that aspect, again, there's a lot of work to do to get there. But again, I, I, I think any amount is too much. Um, and that's why when I'm describing working in this field and in this area, I describe working to end abuse um, because again I, it, I know it sounds like something that's so far but it's true if if we can prevent it, uh, we can end it. And so I think uh, you know the, the work that you're doing and and that so many people out there raising awareness and, and talking about these issues and 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 bringing them to the forefront it's important um and 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 you know'm I'm, I'm just thankful to to play the small part in it that I'm able to play in, in whatever way I can.
0: Well, thank you so much. Um, really quick before we go, would you mind sharing your website again so that anyone who wants to learn more about you and what you do um, can find you there? Yeah,
1: so my uh, website is campbellresearchandconsulting.com. Uh, it's Campbell, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L, and then researchandconsulting.com. Um, all of my studies are there. Um, The only literature that I've written that's not there is my book, which is called uh, Not Without My Pet, Understanding the Relationships Between Victims of Domestic Violence and Their Pets. And you can find that on Amazon or um, most places where books are sold uh, paperback or or an e-copy as well. Um, And then obviously other ways to connect with me can be found at the website through social media, through email and things such as that.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and thank you everybody for listening. Um, I will be back next week with more.
1: Thank you.